2 Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter 2, Paul is writing to young Timothy, whom he left at Ephesus to take care of the things of the church there, and we'll begin reading it in verse 10. He had been warning of those that lead people astray, but in verse 10 of Second, excuse me, Second Timothy chapter 2, I was in chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. You were in the right spot, I wasn't, all right? So, he says to Timothy, Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words of no profit to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenius and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the, found, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, we ask for your spirit to do the ministering um, open your word, open our eyes, open our hearts. And Lord, we look forward to the provision of your grace to not only help us to know the truth, but then to live the truth. For your honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In verse 15, Paul said, that we are to be diligent to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. When we take a look at the Bible as a whole, when we take a look at history as a whole, um, it is easy for us to um, look from our own viewpoint, our own worldview, and that in turn taints exactly how we view things. In looking at the Bible, it is important that we look at it the way God sees things. We understand that history is His story. It's God writing this. And, and we in turn, relate to it. 
we need to fit in and understand where we fit in and and realize that. Now, there are many things in the Bible that um, if you were just to reach in and grab that out and take that, you'd say, wait a minute. For example, when God gave the law to Moses and the children of Israel, one of the laws was to do no work on the Sabbath. The Sabbath, at the time that he gave that, lasts from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. And uh, the book of Numbers tells us, when a man was found picking up sticks on the Sabbath, God commanded the people of Israel to put him to death by stoning him. Now, yesterday morning you were out, you saw your neighbor mowing his lawn, On the Sabbath, should you gather the neighborhood together and stone the guy? You say, come on, pastor. Well, there's some people that disregard the Bible because um, they say, that's what it says to do. You're not doing that. Or they say, yeah, you're going back and you're handpicking certain laws and principles from, from the Old Testament And those don't apply today. And to just give a simple answer, those are the Old Testament and this is the New Testament, that doesn't suffice. God has worked in different ways with different peoples at different times. For example, uh, an easy example to illustrate is with capital punishment. When Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, there was no capital punishment for murder. For that matter, there was no sin at all for which to be punished. And on top of that, there was no death. Because the fall of man hadn't happened. A few years after Adam and Eve were expelled from the Garden, Cain, their son, murdered his brother, Abel, but there was no capital punishment. In fact, God preserved Cain's life, um, put a mark on him so no one would kill him. After the great flood, God instituted capital punishment for murder. And in the law of Moses, capital punishment was administered for various things, as we alluded to earlier. So you say, wait a minute here. I thought God was always the same. Well, God is always the same, but God works in different manners at different times. His message never changes although his methods may. God has always sought for a people he could fellowship with and be glorified through. This is vitally important that we, that we understand this. And, and um, understanding God has always sought for a people he could fellowship with and be glorified Glorified by those people. And God, from the very beginning, began this. This morning, 
Um, we are laying some foundation, and you may say, man, where are we going? I thought this was a series on the church. We're laying some foundation in understanding the importance of this. Um, whether you like history or not, you're living it, all right? And today, we are going to take a, a broad overview of God's dealing with the history of man. Um, it's really important for your understanding of the Bible that you understand these things and these areas of, of God's working. Remember, He was always seeking for a people He could fellowship with and that He would be glorified through that relationship with them. So we're going to look at the ways that He sought this. First of all, in the Garden of Eden, God created Adam and Eve, and they were created in innocence. And in innocence, God fellowshiped with them. He desired a fellowship with them. And He did fellowship with them. He'd come and walk with them in the cool of the day, and, and He enjoyed that fellowship And you know the account. We won't go into the details, but he said, You have full reign and rule of the Garden of Eden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God desired to fellowship with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve disobeyed the restrictions that God put for their own good. And Adam and Eve were driven from the garden, and fellowship with God was broken. Again, we're taking a, a broad overview. This is the, the first time period, if you please, from Adam and Eve to the fall in sin. Um, we don't know exactly how long that was, but from that time, from the time they were created to the time that they sinned was a time of innocence. They had fellowship with God. They had opportunities to share with God and learn from God and fellowship with God. When they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God gave to mankind the knowledge of right and wrong. And with that, He gave to mankind personal responsibility. The knowledge of right and wrong we call conscience. And in this next working of God is the working of God that God gave to mankind this conscience. And it was the basis for right moral judgment. And because of that, they had the opportunity to know right and wrong and the measure of responsibility fell on mankind to do good and to flee from evil. From the Garden of Eden until the time when God looked upon man and he said, Man chooses to do evil continually. And God was not able to have fellowship with them, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. 
And God had Noah prepare an ark. And in the flood, God destroyed mankind. He desired fellowship with people. And he gave them a conscience to know right and wrong. But as mankind, we continually chose wrong. And God said, I'm bringing judgment on this. And he spared Noah and his family. And they began again. And God began a different kind of working in mankind. After the flood, God said to Noah, and established in Genesis chapter 9 and verse 6, and I have to keep pulling myself back from going into these further detail because we're taking a broad overview here today. But in Genesis chapter 9 is where human government was instituted. And God established human government. And God established that man was to walk in obedience to the authorities that were placed over them. And God established as they did that, they were able to um, show forth the glory of God. But we know what happened to mankind. Mankind rebelled against the authorities, attempted to be independent of God, disobeyed God, did things in their own way. And from the time of Noah to the time of the Tower of Babel was the initiating of human government, and human government, God designed it to play a part in all the remainder of time, but he initiated it, but God also brought judgment because man attempted to be independent of God and disobeyed God, so God brought at the Tower of Babel the confusion of tongues, the scattering of mankind throughout the earth, And from innocence to conscience to human government, God had been trying to draw a people that he would fellowship with, that would glorify him, and that would show his greatness. Following the Tower of Babel, God raised up a man by the name of Abraham that he gave many promises to, but he specifically gave promises to Abraham. And God desired to have a special people to fellowship with and fulfill his purposes. Some of the promises to Abraham and his descendants were purely gracious and unconditional. And those promises have either been or will be literally fulfilled. Other promises that he gave to Abraham were conditional. Upon the faithfulness of Abraham and his family and descendants and their obedience, God said, if you do this, I will bless you. If you do not, do this, 
I cannot bless you. And every one of those conditions was violated. And the promise, God seeking through promise to draw to him a people, to develop a special people that would provide fellowship and show forth his glory, it failed and the children of Israel went into bondage into Egypt. So, from innocence to conscience to human government to this period of promise with Abraham, which began, this period began with Abraham and ended in the bondage to Egypt, God has sought a people that he could fellowship and would show his glory. From the bondage of Egypt, God came to Moses and he gave the law. Time and time again, God, after giving the law, the children of Israel would disobey the law. God brought judgment. They would come to repentance. Um, Then he would raise up a deliverer. They would go their own way. And time and time again, God brought judgment on them. And during Ezra and Nehemiah, a feeble remnant returned. And from that feeble remnant came the lion of the tribe of Judah, born of a woman made under the law. Okay? Innocence, conscience, human government, through promise, and now through law. God gave the law, but mankind could not keep the law. And out of the law, from this period, this remnant, came the Messiah. So through the law, the period of Moses to Messiah... So we had the first Adam in the Garden of Eden, innocence. The conscience of Adam in the Garden of Eden to the flood. Human government, the flood to the Tower of Babel. The promise from Abraham to bondage in Egypt. The law from Moses to the Messiah. And God brought judgment in the law, the destruction of Jerusalem, and Israel was scattered. Israel is scattered to this day. They are being drawn back, even as we speak. But God still desired a people to fellowship with. The Messiah came. Jesus Christ came. We looked at it last week. He said, upon this confession that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So God now desires to have a people to fellowship with. And he calls it his ecclesia, his called out ones, his gathered ones. Uh, we, in English, the word we use is the church. 
God desired to raise up a new people to fellowship with and glorify his name. And he made it possible through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's not our own righteousness. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And he offers to that to us by grace, through faith, instead of God requiring righteousness as under the law. It is now freely offered to Jew and Gentile alike upon acknowledgement of our sin and repentance from our sin to faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but Jesus washed it white as snow. It is by grace, through faith, that we are brought to the righteousness of Christ and we are adopted into his family and he has called us to gather together as his church. The local church is what God is using to have fellowship, to show forth his glory. We saw last week one of the purposes is that that he should be show forth that we as a church should show forth his power, show forth his glory. So, through all these periods, God has had the same purpose, seeking a people he could fellowship with and be glorified through. This period that we call the church age or the age of grace will run from Christ until the rapture of believers. When 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God shall sound, the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And God brings, we'll talk about it more in the future, the church, which is his bride, to the wedding feast, to the wedding, the marriage of the Lamb. This is a people that he's called out, washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, and to show forth his glory. After the rapture, after believers are caught up to meet the Lord in the air, um, there will be a seven-year period of tribulation. After the seven-year period of tribulation, the Lord will set up a 1,000-year reign of Christ. Another working of his period, where the lion will lay down with the lamb. They'll beat their swords into plowshares. That isn't going to happen at any period other than in the thousand-year reign of Christ. And this last period, again, God seeking a people to fellowship, to show forth His glory and His power. Um, And in the thousand-year reign, fulfills promises that He has given 
to Israel and others. And after God's judgments on the people of the earth through the seven-year period of tribulation, God will return to the earth with his saints, and he will reign over the earth for 1,000 years, uh, commonly called the millennium, where it will be the earth restored as in the Garden of Eden. But at the end of that thousand years, Satan will be loosed for a little time, and he finds God is revealing again the heart of man. He finds that the natural heart is as prone to evil as ever. After a thousand years in peace and tranquility and God reigning and ruling, The natural heart is as prone to evil as ever, and Satan easily gathers the nations together. And um, this last area closes, like all others, in judgment. The great white throne is set. The wicked dead are raised and finally judged, and then God brings a new heaven and a new earth. Now, the way that God dealt for instance, in innocence or in human government, is not the same as he is today. But God's purpose is still the same. He wants to raise up a people that will show his power and his glory. A people that he wants to bring and allow to fellowship with him Just as he did in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had the privilege of fellowship with God. They chose, no, we want to become like God. And it was broken. God wanted to show mankind that, no, you can't do this on your own. You can't, you can't choose right and wrong on your own. Here's an opportunity. Let your, um, let your discernment direct you. And mankind chose evil. He gave mankind authority, and mankind rebelled against the authority. He gave mankind promise, if you obey me, I'll do this. And mankind said, no, we'll not obey you. We want to go our own way. He gave mankind the law to show man can't keep the law. And then he came and fulfilled the law and gave to us forgiveness of sins, and he brought us into a fellowship with him. And he said, I want you to be my bride. And even in the midst of that, we reject the bride of Christ. We trample underfoot the things of God. The the church has lost its savor, and it will be trampled underfoot. And God still is at work to show his power and his glory. Let me just quickly give you three thoughts through all this. This is not, um, this is not easy to present what we've just gone through. And you may be sitting here and saying, you're right. I didn't get a bit of it. Well, see me later and we'll try to help you get a little of it. Okay. But the message through all of this, first of all, we're reminded history is his story. All of history, I don't care if it's Adam and Eve, 
I don't care if it's Abraham or Moses. I don't care if it's Daniel Boone and Davy Crockett or George Washington or Stalin or Lenin or Obama or Reagan or whoever it is. History is his story. God is writing a story that will magnify him in the end. And as we sang earlier, we need not fear. His truth will triumph. And throughout all of history, mankind will never be able to say, well, if you, if, if you had given us a law, we would have obeyed it. Every excuse that mankind could ever say, God is going to say, here it is. And I believe America is one last example of that. If there was ever a nation, if, if God, you would just give us a nation that had a godly foundation and godly leadership, we would be what you want us to be. And America has proven, no, the heart of man is wicked and evil. You, you can't get much more of a godly foundation. And the more I study American history, the more I stand in amazement and say, what insight these founding fathers had. But all throughout history, God has been seeking a people and mankind. Our heart is so evil, it goes away. And yet God is writing his story, writing his story, and he will be glorified. History is his story. Secondly, we learn from this, God unwaveringly pursues fellowship with us. Tonight we'll deal with this more. But God unwaveringly pursues fellowship with mankind. If any of us were God, we would have, we would have wiped out mankind and said, bad experiment, done with it. But God continues to pursue us. And even yet today, He continues and He calls. And the grace of God that brings salvation appears to all men. And He wants and He calls people to salvation today. And thirdly, we learn today where we are in history, God's chosen vehicle today is the church. God's chosen vehicle today is local assemblies committed to the truths of God's Word. So, if we say, I, I want to be a follower of God, I am a follower of God, my attitude toward a local assembly and my involvement in a local assembly and my service in a local assembly is very important. Because if you love God, you will love what God loves. And it's clearly evident in reading the New Testament, God loves the local assemblies. And in our time in history, this is the time that we're living in. We're not in innocence. We're not in conscience. We're not in the human government. We're not in the... Uh, Abrahamic promises. We're not under the law. We are under grace. We are in the church age. And t- 
to identify and love what God loves. I need to love what he loves and gave himself for. And Ephesians chapter 5 says he gave himself for the church. Again, this, this has nothing to do with building something here. This has everything to do with us being what God wants us to be. Because my responsibility before God is not to build a church. My responsibility before God is to present the truth. My responsibility before you is to give you the truth and encourage you and edify you so that you need not stand ashamed before the Lord. And the bottom line is, history is His story. God unwaveringly pursues fellowship with us, and God's chosen vehicle today is the church. So we ask you this, first and foremost, do you have fellowship with God? As I said, we'll talk more about that tonight. But has there been a time that you repented of your sin and turned to Jesus Christ and trust He and He alone for the payment of your sin? That brings us to fellowship with Him. And then God says, I've gifted you. I've brought you to this fellowship. And I've put you in a body so that you can use these gifts. I want you to learn love by being put in a body with some not so lovely people. That's all of us. And I put you in a body so that you can learn to serve. And really learn a servant's heart when you serve and it's not appreciated. And that will show my glory, he says. That will show that you are a new creature. You're not the same old one that fusses and fights about this and that, that is selfish and, and wants your own way. No, you're willing to give even as he gave. God has always sought for a people he could fellowship with and be glorified through. The question with it for us is, are we that people? Or we make it personal. Am I that person? Does God really, does God look at me and say, you know what? I really, really, really have fellowship with that person. And he or she is showing my glory and my power. Heavenly Father, I pray that your spirit would truly um, take the inadequacy of these words and, Lord, bring them home to our hearts. And may we ask ourselves, through the ministry of your spirit, am I truly a child of God? Am I in fellowship with you, Lord? And may we see, am I showing forth your power? Lord, I pray that you would, would awaken us to the ways of you and the power of you. We ask for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's.